everybody? <laughs> Deadly silence. Welcome, everybody. That's better. That's good. Jono, thank you so much for this morning, mate. I know that's a very difficult thing to do, to just throw the protocols out and just trust God. But, you know, sometimes it's a little bit awkward when we don't have the regular pattern of things. But it's actually great just not to have the bells and whistles sometimes and just to not go through the motions, but just trust God. And it can be a bit awkward. It sort of exposes where we're at with God. You know, if we're not in a good place, it's sort of, <laughs> it's not easy. But thank you for having the courage to do that. It's really important that we do. So for those of you that are visiting with us today, it's great to have you here. I'm just going to do a bit of a recap so you get a, a snapshot of where we've been going in terms of this study we've been doing called The Reckoning. And it's really asking the question, do I have the fullness of what God wants for me? Am I walking in, you know, the complete design for my life that God wanted or am I, you know, am I living on scraps or am I, you know, just half-hearted in what I do? Um, and I don't believe God wants us to live like that. He wants us to walk in the fullness of his spirit, of his power, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy. All that God is and all his fullness is for us to participate in. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, for us to know the fullness of God, to walk in it, to experience in it. That's God's design for our life. Is that not working, Brad? It's gone dead. Everything's broken. It's probably me. Here's a couple of scripture verses from Ephesians three sixteen to 21. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen. I want you to put your name in there. Strengthen Mark with power through his spirit in Mark's inner being so that Christ may dwell in Mark's heart through faith. And I pray that Mark, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that Mark and Ross and Cheryl and whoever else may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within Mark, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, that is the most incredible passage of Scripture. <laughs> In what, in what it's telling us, who we are, who we can be, and who God's design is for us. I want you to keep that in mind. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a practical picture of God's fullness. The passage before was more a spiritual sense of it. That's a practical sense of it. Walking in the fullness of God doesn't mean we have exemption from hardship. 
doesn't mean that our lives are going to be easy. It means that in the midst of doing life, there is a fullness about us, our personality, our character, our attitude, our outlook. We, we are filled with God's love, being established and rooted in love. Therefore, we know that love that surpasses knowledge and we live out our lives in such a way that, that we are transformed by knowing God's love and his power in our life. And that's a practical outworking of it because it doesn't mean that the enemy's going to leave you. He's going to be right there. But you're going to have a banquet in the presence of your enemy. No matter what the problems are, no matter what the hardships is, life can still be lived out in the fullness of God. And we need to learn the practical outworking of the spiritual reality that we have. So what does it mean to walk in the fullness of God? We could probably substitute that and say walking in intimacy with God or walking in victory over sin or manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things that God is should be us as we walk together with him. We should have a life of purpose. We should have a life of power. We should have a life of prosperity. It doesn't mean that you win Tats Lotto every week. It just means that your life should be in such a way that you're positive about who you are and where you're going. Positive in God because you're rooted and established in his identity and his identities become your identity. And because of that, your outlook on life is a godly one. And we walk in freedom and we walk in abundance. So we could substitute probably any of those things. And when we talk about the fullness of God, there's three, three people at play here. There's God, there's your enemy Satan, and there's you. This is what the scripture says about God. God's divine power has given Mark everything. Everything Mark needs for a godly life through my knowledge of him who called me by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given me his very great and precious promises so that through those promises I, Mark Wilson, may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us everything to live a godly life in the fullness of God. God doesn't have to do anything else. He's done his bit. It's complete. It's a complete work. It's all there for the taking. God said, here it is. Come and take it, Darren. It's all yours. I've purchased it for you. It's here. Come, eat, drink, taste, fill yourself up. But be on guard and stay awake. Because your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. But you must resist the devil and stay strong in your faith because you know that all over the world, the Lord's followers face the same battle as you are. So God's given us everything, right? And the enemy wants to take it away, but he's powerless to take it away if we defend ourselves. If we stand strong in the spirit, he has no authority over us. He can't rob and steal. Unless we let him. So God's given us everything. The enemy's going to try and sneer, steer it off, steal it off you in some way, shape or form. But if you stand strong, if you stay alert, on guard, watching what the enemy's doing, aha, uh -huh, that's how he's coming in. Stop. You have no right. You have no authority. He can't take it off you. 
So God's given us everything. The enemy wants to take it, but effectively he's powerless. So that just leaves you and me left to be the third party. So then, let's run the race of life that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us throw off the extra baggage. Get rid of all the sin that trips us up and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. So to experience the fullness of God, God's already done his part. It's all there. He can't do anything to make Darren take the fullness of God. Darren Darren has to appropriate it. He has to exercise faith. He has to make the right choices. He has to position himself to grow in God and to walk by faith, not by sight, and to be uh, and to be ruled by the Spirit of God and not by his senses, not by his feelings. So God's done everything. The devil will seek to destroy it, and we personally must walk in submission and obedience and cultivate the right lifestyle. Then we'll walk in the fullness of God. So the onus for establishing and maintaining fullness rests upon us as individuals to position ourselves. I am not responsible for Brad's spiritual well-being. I'm not responsible for John's. I'm not responsible for my wife's. We are individually responsible for making sure we are in submission to God, we are resisting the devil, we're walking in purity and the holiness of God that we're being obedient. You are going to stand before a holy God and give an account for your life. You can't say the devil made me do it. You can't say I didn't know. You've got to walk in the fullness of God. So we've got to take personal responsibility that my freedom in Christ, my fullness in Christ, my intimacy with Christ is on my shoulders. It's my choice. It's my responsibility. I can't blame anybody else for my lack. If I have a lack, it's because of me. It's not because of God and I I can't blame the enemy. So we can't shift the blame. The thing we need to do is, is, is if, if we're not in a good or a right place in God, then get help or get the right accountability measures in place so that you can be disciplined, so that you can be obedient. And if there are things that you're entangled in in your life that stop you walking in the fullness of God and you're self-aware of those things, then you need to do something to change. And I believe Christians are very good at doing this awareness of having recognition because, you know, the processes that we go in as Christians, we come to church every week or we have quiet times and we keep asking God, God, test me and try me and and train me. So we're very self-aware people, much more than probably any other group on the face of the planet because we're always looking in and asking God. So we're very self-aware But you're going to get very frustrated if that self-awareness doesn't translate into a nuts and bolts change in the outworking of your life. And I think that's the danger of Christianity, that we are information overload and we are underdone in the nuts and bolts of actually executing the change in our life. If we sat here this morning and I said, here's a piece of paper, can you tell me the things that hold you back in God? You'd be able to write them down. And in this moment, you could probably confess and repent. But I reckon the danger that we face is that that doesn't translate into changed behavior in the long term. 
And so we get into a cycle where we just go round and round and round. And so you come to church, someone like me teaches, you get self-awareness, you get recognition. Oh, there's a problem. Confess the problem, repent, but that doesn't translate into a changed life. And so what happens? You come back again next Sunday. And the bloke up the front, or whoever it is, is sharing God's word. God's word enlightens and reveals, and we become aware, and we go, oh, no, I'm back in the same place again. Lord, forgive me. Please help me change. But then we don't put the things in place to make sure that that is a lasting change. And I want to thank many of you that for the first time maybe in your life, you're actually going, Lord, I want this to change forever. And people are doing the hard yards of freedom in Christ. And they're really digging down deep into the root cause of why there isn't freedom, why there isn't fullness. And there's always a reason. There's always a reason below the layers why we're not walking in that fullness of God. And it's up. the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you, and then it's your choice to take some action. So I want to encourage you, if in this process of looking at the fullness of God, if you become aware of something that's holding you back, ask the Lord to reveal it to you, because he will. That's where the journey begins, not where it ends, because God wants us to run the race as to win. It would be nonsensical, wouldn't it, to run in the 100 metres at the Olympics and tie your shoelaces together. Like you wouldn't run the race like that, would you? You'd do something to make sure your shoes were tied up properly so you could run the race. And that's what the scriptures are telling us. Whatever entangles us, whatever snares us, whatever keeps us captive, deal with it so you can be set free because Christ came to set you free. It is for freedom's sake that we're set free. What's the point of doing Christianity all bound up and tangled up? And coming here every week and feeling awkward because someone exposes the issues in your life, but then nothing changes. That's beating yourself up. That, that's a road to nowhere. God reveals because he wants to transform. But God won't wave some magic wand over your life. He'll say, you make the right choices. You put yourself in a place of obedience and submission and get help and get mentors and get accountability and do the dirty work and root it out. And then there's freedom. Then there's liberty. Then you can go on into what God wants you to have. But it's that reckoning. It's that asking God, that awkwardness of discovering that, you know, you might have been sexually abused and there's root causes that hold you back. There was promiscuous relationships and you've got soul ties to people back in your teenagers that have never been broken. That's why you can't have good, solid relationships. There's always a root cause. There's always a reason why there isn't fullness. And I know that God will show you. And I know that the enemy will want to beat you up. And he'll want to tell you it's too hard. God could never change you. It's been with you for so long. It's just such a monumental sin. You could never share that with anyone. If you shared that with Mark and Cheryl, they would never talk to you again. They'll reject you. That's how the enemy will seek to work. But we are rooted and established in love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus said, fear not for I am. Is he ever going to reject you? It's an impossibility. Yet how many times do we feel like God is not going to accept us? That's a lie. It is a big fat dirty lie. 
And that's what the, it is. But we believe it. That's where we give the enemy ground. So the enemy's major strategy to keep us from fullness is fear. False evidence appearing real. If I was to come up the front this morning and kneel at the altar, someone would think I'm a fool. False evidence appearing real. No one would have thought that. No one would have. Why would they have thought that? They would have honoured them. They probably wouldn't even have been looking at you, to be honest. But the reality is that's the only way the enemy can get at us is to twist things so that we fear. And there are so many things that you can fear in life. There's fear of flying, fear of public speaking, fear of heights, fear of the dark, fear of intimacy, fear of death, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of spiders. You know, it's all right to squeal like a girl when you see a huntsman because I have a fear of spiders. Fear of commitment. Now, who knows what nomophobia is? Anybody? It's the fastest growing fear in the world. Do you know what it is? It's the absence of your mobile phone. Good guess. Very good. And the number 27 on the list of biggest fears in the world? Yeah. The number 27 is pogonophobia. Who knows what that is? I'm looking around. There's only two people I can pick on, Stuart and Scott. It's beard fear. Oh, and Chris. It's the fear of beards. Now, some of those are when your, when your physical being or psychological state is threatened, it's okay to fear, okay? It's okay to fear God. That's a rational fear. But it's when those fears become irrational, or illegitimate, and that's what the enemy wants. He wants to build up in our lives these, these illegitimate fears that keep us captive. But God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love, rooted and established in love, and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. That's the truth. God did not give it to you. You've either taken it from the enemy or you've built it up in your own life. Now, there are all sorts of spiritual fears that keep us from the fullness of God. The fear of man, I think, is the biggest one. The fear of just being real and honest, that someone won't accept you, that someone won't like you. Um, you know, And we can build up all these illogical fears in our life. Let me give you an example. When I was about nine, my mum and dad sent me into a milk bar to buy some milk and there was an Indian man behind the counter and I couldn't understand what he said and I got incredibly embarrassed in that moment and I didn't have the wherewithal as an eight-year-old to know what to do in that situation and became quite fearful and really... that that had trauma in my life because of that scenario. So I became racist because I feared something I didn't understand, didn't understand the language. This was a strange, dark-skinned man with you know, funny words coming out of his mouth. That built up an illogical fear in my mind that all Indians were the same as that man. And so I had an inherent fear in my life of Indian people to the point where that became racist that every Indian I saw, I had a bad attitude towards. 
Was it a logical fear? No. It was a fear of something I just didn't understand as a young person. But not being dealt with, not being confronted, not being you know, taught and understood, that became a stronghold in my life to the point where I had to repent and acknowledge that I hated people. On the basis of what? Because I couldn't understand their language and I got embarrassed. So who had the problem, the Indian people or me? I did. I had an illogical, illegitimate fear in my mind. The fear of being loved, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure. How many times in life life have we not done something because we've been so frightened that we might fail at it? I mean, these, these are things that cripple Christians, that paralyze them from living in the fullness of God. I reckon there's all sorts of dreams and visions God's given many of us to go and do some things, but we've just gone, uh, but I could fail. I won't try. I won't even try. Now, who's got you captive if that's your attitude? Did God give you that spirit of fear? No, he didn't. He gave you a spirit of a sound mind and your sound mind can go, this is God's voice talking to me. This is God's revelation and God's truth that I will act upon. Not a lie from the enemy. Fear of confrontation. Who likes conflict? Not many of us, but why? Why don't we like or why why do we fear so much having conflict with people? I mean, if I'm rooted and established and grounded in God's love... No matter what any of you say to me shouldn't make any difference to my life. It shouldn't change my, my, my self-awareness um, of who I am. If I'm rooted in God and, and, and Shannon comes up to me and, Mark, and says, Mark, you are the worst preacher I have ever heard. You're just a shocker. <laughs> yeah, go somewhere else. Leave. <laughs> But his opinion shouldn't affect me, really. If I'm rooted and established in love, what I do doesn't matter. It's who I am. In Christ, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not heights, not depth, not principality or power or angels or demons. Nothing can rob me from that love. Okay, And perfect love casts out all fear. So I'm living in the fullness of God and I'm aware of who I am in God. It doesn't matter what people do doesn't matter what people say. I shouldn't fear man. I shouldn't fear conflict. I shouldn't fear failure. I shouldn't fear rejection because if my audience is God, then I'm stable. For God did not give me a spirit of timidity or cowardice. So sometimes irrational fears compel us to live irresponsible lives. They cripple us from living full godly lives. But behind every rational fear is a lie That has to be identified. Because if God didn't give you a spirit of fear and you're fearful, then it's it's not godly. We shouldn't fear. And it's the one thing that the enemy will use, false evidence, appearing like it's real. But don't believe it. So you can't change what you don't acknowledge. That's Dr. Phil's favorite line. It's true. You can sit in church for 50 years and not ever do any self-reflection or self-awareness and just pretend like there's nothing wrong and nothing will change. It's not until you go, I think I have some issues in my lifestyle, in in my thought processes that are unhealthy. When you recognise that they're there, then then you're on the road because you've recognised it. You're now aware. 
So what lies have I been believing that are the basis of my fear? Name them. Put them on a piece of paper. Call them out. Recognize what they are. You're always going to have giants in your life. You're always going to have things that come up. But it's okay to call Goliath by his name. He can yell and scream at you as much as he wants. Your fear can, you know, do what it wants to do. But rooted and established in love, you can shout back at that giant in your life. And you can kill it. You can destroy it. So recognize and confess it as sin. That's the next step. Know what it is. Then confess it as sin. Because if God said you are this, but you are believing that you are this, then it's not God's truth about you. If God puts something on Sam's heart this morning, Sam, go up the front. I've got something I want you to share. And Sam goes, but who am I? I'm a nobody. God wouldn't use me. I'm just a teenager. That's a lie. Why? Because God's word says when you're young, don't let people look down on you, which means don't look down on yourself as well. You know, so we substitute the life for God's truth. And then Sam should be able to walk up here and just say, this is what God asked me to share this morning and just be obedient and share it. He shouldn't be fearful. The number one fear in in the world is public speaking. (laughs) But in Christ, he should feel that he can be obedient and he should feel strong. So recognize and confess it as sin. And it can be an active or a passive thing that we allow fear to cripple our lives. So deal with the root cause, not the symptoms. The Holy Spirit will show you. It's often like a tree. And the, and the fear that we're aware of is one of the branches. But the root cause comes back down to here somewhere. Why was I racist? I'd forgotten about that incident. It wasn't too God revealed to me that it was when I was eight that I'd had that trauma in my life, that I'd built up this, this reaction to that incident that became a full-blown racism. You know, it's funny how God gets you to deal with things, but, but that's the way it works. And if God wants us to walk in fullness, then anything that's restricting that fullness, God will show it. He will show it. That's his faithfulness to it. So courage is not the absence of fear but living by faith and living in the face of illegitimate fear. Okay, It's logical if you're going to fight in a war to be a little bit fearful of bullets flying around your head or bombs falling out of the sky. Okay, The fear doesn't go away. But the courage to do what you've got to do is walking by faith, trusting that God wants you to walk in that fullness, trusting that God's love is is immeasurable. Trusting that God's best for you is right there, ready to be taken. Don't let the enemy snatch it away and don't just settle for less than God's best. God wants the very best for you, but we've got to take it. So develop a plan. This is where I think we lack because we come to church, we get recognition, We understand that there needs to be change. We confess it and then we walk out the door and nothing changes. Because we're not actually putting a plan of action in place to renew our thinking or renew our behavior so that we walk in fullness, so that we're not fearful anymore. So that may mean prayer ministry. That may mean having someone to whom you're accountable, that when you feel like you're slipping down that slope again, you pick up the phone and say, hey, Brad, you know what you promised to keep me accountable? I'm struggling. 
and that person will help you. If that fear has crippled you, you haven't had victory over it. It's got you captive. So sometimes we need people to come along and unlock those shackles for us and drag us out of the prison because if we could do it ourselves, we would have already done it. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and sometimes you just need someone to to minister alongside you and help you learn how to get out because you've been caught in that prison cell for so long, you're frightened to get out the door. Even when God opens the gates and says, go, you're free, that's been your familiarity. That's the way you've always thought about yourself. It's always been the way you viewed the world. And when the Holy Spirit comes and says, no, don't think like that anymore. Be free. It's like a little birdie. Do I get out of the cage or not? That takes faith and it takes courage. But God did not give you a spirit of, but of what? Love, power and a sound mind. A sound mind can always work out what God is saying what the enemy is saying and what self is saying so that we can be free. So victory comes in changed patterning, faith and power at work. Remember those verses we started with at the start? Okay, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in your spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the power is there and available. We just have to exercise it in the right way. God's done everything for us. Everything but make us do it like robots. We have a free will to choose. I can choose whether I want to live bound up. I can choose whether I want to be satisfied with a 75% scorecard on my pursuit of God. I choose that. I'm responsible for that. But if I know that there's something holding me back. I know that God's power is going to meet me in my weakness. And God is going to come through. I know he's going to come through. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother standing here every week pleading with you to go on with God. If it didn't work, I'm not stupid. I haven't given up my life to do this because it doesn't work. It works. There is freedom at the end of it. I've got a sound mind. I might not look like it, but I know that A plus B plus C equals D. I know that recognition plus confession plus being transformed by the renewing of your mind means a changed person at the end. And that process never stops. But we get fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller so that the issues that I have in my life are minimal And that places me at a place where life is not about my problems anymore. It's not about me tripping over myself or my own selfishness or my own needs and me having to be dependent on everybody. Oh, Ray, pick me up, please. I'm having such a terrible week. Could you please pray for me? It's not about me. It's about getting all the crap out of the cupboard so that I live in the fullness of God so that I can be a servant and serve others. And I don't have to keep running back and get myself fixed up all the time. I walk in the fullness of God. That's God's destiny for every one of us. And if you're not there, you know why? Because you've chosen not to be there. It's not God's fault. It's not his fault. He's given us everything. It can be the enemy's fault, but the enemy can only get in if we let him. Be alert, stand firm, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will 
He has to. That just leaves little old me. <laughs> I'm the problem. But there's always a solution. I, you know I'm the problem, yeah. <laughs> you, you live with me. <laughs> oh, was that Ethan, was it? Yeah. I think he should be the preacher. So that's why Paul said he prays that being rooted and established in love. Now that's the key. It really is the key because if we have a revelation of God's love for us and we don't doubt that, then there's, there's no limitations. There's no restrictions. There's no fear when you know God's not going to reject you. There's no fear when you know that God's got a solution. There's no logical fear. There's no godly, you know, illogical, godly-based fear anymore. We can come and just be ourselves, being rooted and established in love, and we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Ethan said, I don't know how to explain it. How can you explain God's love for you? That word to know doesn't mean that you know it cerebrally. It doesn't mean that you know that God loves you as an intellectual assent to a truth on a piece of paper. It means you know it in your whole being. You know it that when you sing songs on a Sunday morning, something resonates through your whole body that God loves you, Bronwyn. I love you. God is all over you. You can sense that love. It's like liquid fire. It's like the best feeling ever that you're accepted in the beloved, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is no better feeling. I've tried most things in my life, lots of drugs, all sorts of sex, all sorts of things, roller coaster rides, everything. There's no better feeling than knowing that God loves you, that knowing that the Father's, that you are the apple of his eye. It is the best feeling because everything else diminishes. It just disappears. And you realize that of all the people on the face of this planet, God loved you first. And he sent a rescue plan to grab you and put his arms around you and draw him to yourself. And he's laid it all at your feet and said, here's the banquet. Please enjoy. Feast. Have a wonderful life. Be someone of power and prosperity and purpose. And when the world sees you, they'll know that you're full of my love. So to know this love. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Like even me sitting here thinking that the very best that God could do in my life is not sufficient. He'll do more. But he won't do for you what you have to do for yourself. You are not a robot. And if there's issues in your life... Bring them to the surface. Bring them out of the darkness into the light. Trust somebody. Take a step of courage. God will meet you and he will never fail you. Fear not, for I am with you. Remember that old song, Fear Not, for I am. It's a bit bit corny, isn't it? No, I know my daughters are just going, Dad, don't dance, please. If you look through scripture, how many times does God say, fear not? Fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Fear not. Because my presence will be there. Fear not. Fear not. Why? Because God makes all things possible. God makes it possible. Let's pray.
Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. But more than that, I want to thank you for your character and your nature because you are love. God is love. And Lord, you've spread abroad in our hearts your love. You've imparted into us the greatest gift that this world will ever know. You. You are God. You're our Father. You're our brother. You're our friend. If God is for me, who can be against me? Nobody. What a great revelation that is. Let's speak that to the world. And my God is for me. My God loves me. I am the apple of his eye. He wants to sit me on his knee and declare over me all the things that he's promised. Father, we praise you that you are a God that loves us like that. That perfect love casts out all fear. So Father, if there is anything in our lives that inhibits us from your fullness, if we've got the wrong sort of thinking, if we've got behavior patterns that are unhealthy, if there's any root cause in our life, Lord, that would stop us feasting on what you have for us, Lord, my prayer is simply give us the courage to deal with it. There may not be a quick fix. It may be a relearning. It may take incredible courage just to put it on the table and confess it. But Lord, there should be no sense of condemnation. Because there isn't any. It would be a lie to feel like God is going to treat us unkindly if we're honest. Lord, I thank you that you do. You take us by the hand and you lead us right up to that point of decision. And you say, this is the best way for you. Will you walk in it? This is an area where you're struggling. I've got a solution. Would you walk in it? I thank you, Lord, that you don't expose things and just leave us all bound up and tangled. You want to set us free. And whom Jesus sets free is free indeed. No one can bind you up. If God declares that you're free, you're free. And so, Lord, we want to be a group of people that are free. We don't want to be restricted and tangled and held back, snared. We want to run the race of life. We want to run it in such a way that we win the prize. Lord, I want to win at this. I want to be the best that I can at this life of intimacy and and, and the pursuit of you. And if anything gets in the way, Lord, please show me and show us so that we can deal with it and walk in the fullness that you have for us. Lord, thank you for your precious promises. You've promised us that that can be a reality, that that's the end design. You want us to be those people. And we can get there. That's the great thing about this message today. It's not condemning. It's liberating because the answer's right there in front of us. Just let God, let God do it. Let God do a work. Be open. Let him come. Invite him to change. Invite him to dispel and to dismiss that fear. Let him smash it with his mighty right hand. Let him just smash that fear. So Lord, today I just pray that you would continue by your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you just illuminate 
in our minds the things that are holding us back. And if that means we submit to something like freedom in Christ, well then what's the shame in that? I can only end up a better person with prayer ministry. Lord, give us the courage to share with someone if we're struggling. Show us the right person. Show us someone that we can trust. Just, Lord, let us take action. Just not recognize it, but take action to change, I pray. Lord, I thank you for this family, and I thank you for the journey that we're on, Lord. And we thank you that you're, you're drawing us deeper, that you're wanting us to clean out the closet and be whole because you have great things in store for us. And you don't want us to be hamstrung and, and, and beaten up by the enemy because we've left stuff still there for him to have ground. We want to clean up the closet, Lord, and walk in your fullness and experience that fullness. Thank you, Father, for your promises today. Lord, I want to pray a blessing over each and every life here this morning. Lord, I want to pray from the youngest to the oldest that you would take us by the hand and that you would walk us this week through to change, some significant change in our life, Lord. Reveal something just this week, just one thing, that we can, we can deal with it, we can have victory in it, and we can put it aside and run a little bit faster and a little bit harder. Lord, let us go on to win the race that you've marked out for us. So, Lord, I pray for your love, Lord, the Father's love to flood the hearts of your people so that we are rooted and established in love, so that those roots go down deep and strong. They're not torn out easily. But, Father, we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and live in the fullness of what you have. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All I want to do today is leave it up for people to come and have prayer. So if you feel like you're, there's more for you, but you're struggling, would you come?